Hey everybody, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And this is another segment of World Impact News. Today we're going to be talking to you about foreign policy, specifically to dealing with the border. And I think, Mark, we called this segment Border Policy is Foreign Policy, contrary to what you often hear implied in the mainstream news. Right. And so there's certain agenda out there that this open border and that you can just have anybody just flood the nation uh, that's been propagated around and you could even see it today. Even some of the propaganda, they're locking people in cages and and even when it gets into the military and how we can how we can utilize the military or utilize the National Guard and you know there there's a lot of things going on so we're going to reference a lot of things as well as Mark we have some filled footage we were out in the field uh, and so that we're going to bring that to the listeners today and and our audience today and so stay tuned and for all of this it's going to be very informative there's a lot of ground we're going to cover today but this is, I believe, going to be so powerful, Mark. Absolutely. Of what we're going to illuminate and bring the facts out today of what's happening on our southern border and how foreign policy is involved. Absolutely. That field footage of Jason and I at the Donna, Texas border wall sections, the new sections being built, you're going to want to see that and hear about it. And that provides the reality that we need to see because many people don't live in these parts of the, of the nation. So we're bringing that to you so you can see firsthand what it looks like. And we're going to contrast our, what our founders, of, what the founders of this nation said a little bit about immigration with what, for instance, was passed in 1965 by Edward Kennedy, the huge disparities there, the think tanks and quasi-government organizations and institutes uh, that we're going to mention today, the things that they say and give those things a reality check. It's a lot to sort out, but one of the four most important parts, Jason, about border policy is foreign policy is precisely that. When a nation deals with its borders, it's not only dealing with the domestic elements, the U.S. Right. Border Patrol, uh, when illegal immigrants come inland into the hinterland of the country and they're maybe being apprehended or they maybe have blended into the country, different things happen. But when the nation is dealing with a neighboring nation um, like Mexico, that automatically is a reality when you're dealing with border policy. So right. then that has to do with what Mexico does with its military. And it has to do what Mexico does with its own southern border with the Central American countries. And then that affects trade policy and trade discussions. So to try and cast U.S. border security, the border wall, and all these things as purely domestic, we, we insist and we believe can factually back up, is a misnomer. It is not true. This is, in fact a foreign policy matter just as much as it's a domestic policy matter exactly. because it's such a multifaceted thing. U.S. National Guard at, at the border um, protecting us from unwanted elements, human traffickers, drug cartel scouts, drug cartel agents, some of them being terrorists, officially or not officially. Right. So foreign policy is very much a part of border policy it is not strictly a domestic matter that is the first and foremost thing to get out today exactly and so the reality is we would not be suffering from a lot of the domestic issues and have these domestic problems if good foreign policy was being in, uh, being formed and introduced and we take that foreign policy and we 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 marry it so to speak with the border policy and border security. And so we can't just have a flood of people coming in and thinking that everything's going to be okay. Like the old saying, just like the ostrich puts his head in the sand and when he takes his head out, everything's all right. It doesn't work that way, Mark. Oh, absolutely. To have unregulated people flowing in large numbers, especially in short periods of time over any nation's border, be it the United States or entering any other nation, is a prescription for chaos and disaster because it's that much easier for criminal and terrorist elements to mix in and blend in and right. hide out and then infiltrate the country. Right there, that becomes a national security, foreign policy, not just domestic policy issue. Yes. How many times can we say it? Border policy <laughs> is foreign policy. And you have institutes like the infamous Council on Foreign Relations in some of their publications. And we'll talk about the Wilson 
the Wilson Institute, the CFR, and different organizations like that, some here locally in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. We'll talk about them in more depth in today's show, but the Council on Foreign Relations, which was formed in 1921 in New York City by some very wealthy interests, Rockefeller, Carnegie, and whatnot, <coughs> Morgan, Morgan, Morgan Money as well, right. they, they say that using U.S. troops to guard our southern border is improper because they claim that it breaks the law made in the late 1800s that came out of the Civil War Reconstruction period called the Posse Comitatus Act, which very simply put meant that U.S. federal troops should not be used for domestic policing because that's a signpost or, uh, you know, a, a marker toward tyranny. Right. And there's a lot of truth to that. The, the North was very heavy-handed in cracking down on the South in the wake of the Civil War, and that was called Reconstruction. And I can understand that kind of prohibition, but the Council on Foreign Relations won't tell you that the vast majority of the troops sent to guard our southern border over the last year, year and a half by President Trump have not been federalized. They were still under state control as National Guard. They only become federal troops when they're activated that way. Right. Most of them, the vast majority, even going back to General Pershing and controlling Pancho Villa's raids some hundred years ago, most of those were state guard that were not federalized. So the Posse Comitatus Act, the CFR will downplay or won't tell you altogether, only deals with federalized troops who would abuse their powers by policing the country. We have been guarding our border with state National Guard who largely, if not completely, have not been federalized. So it does not break the Posse Comitatus Act. So the Council on Foreign Relations, nice try, boys. But this is not a time when that Posse Comitatus Act is being broken. It is being honored. These are state guard, not federalized. Plus the U.S. military, as a matter of military and foreign policy, has every right to guard its national border and... Even if they were federalized, Jason, they're not patrolling the heartland of America as a police force. They are outwardly oriented on the outer perimeter facing Mexico, protecting our country from the potential infiltration of uh, dangerous human traffickers and drug runners and gun runners and cartel agents. That is the proper use of the military, federalized or not. So... These kind of arguments that try and dissuade or discourage America from guarding its border while trying to claim it's all domestic policy anyway, when we know it's foreign policy in part, these kind of arguments don't hold water or hold up to scrutiny. Period. Paragraph. Exactly. And from the CFR, quoting them, they, they will state this, the 1878 Pose Comitatus Act limits the U.S. military's role in enforcing domestic laws, meaning that limits. interactions, limiting, right. So there's limits there, meaning that interactions between these active duty troops and migrants at the Mexican border is restricted. They can neither detain and deport unauthorized immigrants nor conduct searches and seizures. Like the National Guard soldiers, these troops will largely provide indirect support such as conducting aerial surveillance and repairing or reinforcing infrastructures. But here's the other thing is I want to point out to people is it is the U.S. Border Patrol. It's not the Texas Border Patrol. It's not the New Mexico Border Patrol. So they're federalized, but they have a certain function. And so why won't it, and I'm just saying, the a federal military a, a person, individual, a serviceman or servicewoman that was for the protection and the security of this nation, why they can't, why they could not engage in the same way. Just bringing it up because, you know, <clears throat> just, just for food for thought there, they are the U.S. Border Patrol. So That's they are, correct. They are federalized. That's right. And they are securing our border. So I believe that this, what we're talking about, border policy is good foreign policy is when it comes to these foreign policy issues and border issues, we need to use whatever resources we have to protect the American people and not allow drugs, human trafficking, and all these other things to infiltrate into America, which is all part of the globalist plan. And we'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, is that the military is well aware 
that they have an auxiliary role, that they assist the Border right. Patrol. Now, the Border Patrol operates under the Department of Homeland Security, so they are basically domestic, but they're yes. federal. Yes. And the military already recognizes its role is not to directly apprehend. They already know that, Mr. and Mrs. CFR. They yeah. get that, okay? Yeah. But they have a right to be there, and it does not break the Posse Comitatus Act. It is not the internal policing of St. Louis or Kansas City. Right. <clears throat> and if there are illegal immigrants that need to be apprehended in Chicago or some other city, we have ICE and those agencies that do that. But many of the big city mayors resist and will actually tell their mayors, or excuse me, tell their police chiefs, these mayors of the big cities, tell their police chiefs not to assist the Border Patrol or the, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, I mean to say. Right. Um, such as Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, telling the Chicago police, if the federal immigration authorities get here, ignore them. Don't yeah. give them any intel. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, but that is a form of mutiny acting in direct contravention directly against the ability of our sovereign nation under its constitution to protect its border from dangerous elements. Right. Now, are these mayors from McAllen on up throughout the country, are they going to tell us that there are no dangerous elements mm -hmm. here? Okay, that they're all peers the driven snow, everyone that comes across that border? Come on now. You want to really go there? Yeah. Okay? So, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a big point, Mark. And, and that's where the danger of these sanctuary cities, just where ICE had somebody who they requested to get, who in November of 2019 raped and killed a 96-year-old woman, and guess what? The sanctuary city lets them go. And so there, you understand because they refuse to work with ICE. And so you know, there, so we have to do everything to protect ourselves, protect Americans and citizens. And if there's any illegal activity, that's when coming, especially when you're coming across into our border from another nation. Look. Everybody has this mindset, and sometimes we can see where they're thinking, well, because it's not coming, they're not coming from the Middle East, or they're not coming from some other nation that's across the pond. But they say, well, it's just Mexico, it's just Central America. But that is, that's still where foreign policy needs to be utilized, because that is a foreign nation, that is a foreign national that is coming across our borders. That is correct, and people from across the pond will come by way of Central America as well. We've That's already true. learned that many people that illegally enter the country, probably something like 30%, let's just be safe, are of non-Mexican, non-Central American origin. They can be from the Middle East, they can be from right. Eastern Europe, they can be from all over, India, That's right. Pakistan, China. And so border policy is foreign policy by its very nature. But this is not the message we get from the big city mayors, the medium city mayors, the mainstream media, many right. in the government. Uh, we get this other message that it's purely a domestic matter and how dare President Trump use any Pentagon funds to help build the border wall. And in, in fact, though, if you look at it through the lens that border policy has many foreign policy attributes and aspects, suddenly it makes much more sense to use some, maybe not a lot, but some Pentagon funds. And of course, it cannot be overstated that none of this is to disparage any immigrant that wants to come to the United States to genuinely and honestly make a better life for themselves. Exactly. There is no lack of compassion, but many on the compassion side, on the mercy side, ha have a lack of discernment. Right. A, a very clear lack of discernment, a anything-goes mentality that all immigrants are created equal. Not true. Those that need help can and should be helped, but there has to be discernment. There has to be information. We have to be informed about how we do this and get a clear perspective about the forces at work, the, the players at work on the chessboard here. Right. And that's what we're doing. And that's why, if you see, like even the city, uh, we live right on the border. We're in McAllen, Texas. And why do you have all these uh, border mayors, these border cities and border towns where the mayors are getting together and, and writing letters to Trump saying, we don't want the border wall. It's like, we don't want border security. Well, you kind of wondered why. I mean, look, why is Mayor, Mayor uh, Jim Darling taking his whole team to uh, go to the Wilson Center? As Mayor Jim Darling and McKellen said at a presentation by Duncan Wood of the Wilson Center, and Mayor Jim Darling was there to make a short introduction and said, 
And we're just factually relaying this. Right. I'm sure there's some reasons, good reasons, that they, the city of McAllen goes there. Right. It's, it's not necessarily all bad, but it's probably not well known that taxpayer dollars are spent out of McAllen, out of its treasury, to fly Darling and a contingent all the way to Washington to hear Wilson Center speakers. Now, there's probably lots of good information there, but it needs to be known that tax dollars are being spent on that and those, those junkets are, are being taken. Right, And we're simply saying, you have to know what you're getting into here, that there's much more than the face value kind of information you'll get from the Wilson Center, informative though it may be, and helpful though it may be in some, some respects. Right, but it might be misguided as well. And Correct. There's an agenda out there, and that's what we want everybody. Uh, you, we, we say this all the time, is question everything. You should question everything, especially as a citizen in the United States. You have certain rights, and you need to... Uh, if you don't, if, if actually, if you don't exercise your rights and your privileges, then you really don't have them. Just like if you don't know them. So know them, learn them, learn the Constitution, learn the Bill of Rights. I mean, we have to learn what our rights are. But um, but that, yeah, definitely one one aspect of it. And so, but why don't we lay some some groundwork as as it comes to immigration and and kind of maybe what our founding fathers thought about immigration. Yeah, I believe you let had me, some quotes from James Madison, let one, me read, one of our early presidents. Yeah, let me read And a then quote. I think we can go to the uh, border footage right, right in Donna, Texas, of the new wall sections after this. So here is a quote from President Madison. Actually, it was in a letter to an immigrant friend in 1813. Then President Madison made it clear that they would always warmly welcome immigrants who are attached to our country by its natural and political advantages. He was empathetic about his views that mass immigration as an end to itself beyond those with particular skills was not to be encouraged. I am obliged at the same time to say, as you will doubtlessly learn from others, that is it is not either the provision of our laws or the practice of the government to give any encouragement to immigrants unless it be in case cases where they may bring with them some special addition to our stock of arts or articles of culture. And so he took a, took a stance on that, that there should not be a flooding of people. Note the word mass immigration. Mass immigration. See, see that's the thing. <clears throat> There's a very careful distinction to make, make out there, and I, I want the mayors of this nation to listen to this. Immigration is fine. The numbers, even with legal immigration, there has to be numbers that are manageable and to where people can assimilate, to where they can learn our Constitution and learn what the country's about, not simply barge in and bring their culture with them at, at the expense of the culture that they're moving into. Right. See, obviously Madison was not against immigration per se, but mass immigration, where the flood of people overtakes the ability of the country to assimilate them under the knowledge of our system after all, if America is such a special place that a lot of people want to live here, then let's teach people that. Right. Let's share that wonderful knowledge of what this country is about. Let's not just let them in and say, ah, we'll just let it slide. Right. As much as possible. And granted, there are practical limits here and there. But not mass immigration, but carefully regulated, carefully done, positively done immigration of a non-mass sort. Right. Where... America benefits and the immigrants coming in also benefit. Yeah. We are a diverse nation. Yes. And that is something that is actually wonderful. And we believe in diversity. But if you have mass diversity happening, that's going to shell shock. And that's why even you could see why Governor Greg Abbott actually is leading the way to stop the refugees in the state of Texas. Oh, the resettlement program. The resettlement. He, he backed out of that. He backed out now, of it. There's good reasons for that because the resettlement program can get out of hand where people are airlifted here and are not schooled in what America is about. And what it, cre what it creates is a class of cultures rather than social cohesion. 
Right. It's too much too soon. There's a lot of downside. Now, there's probably some upsides, too, to be objective and fair. But to just carte blanche, declare it all wonderful and all good, just like open borders, right. free trade without any tariffs whatsoever, again, that laissez-faire attitude, that free trade at all costs attitude, we argue, and the evidence is clear, does not bear good fruit. It creates more problems than it creates benefits. The, right. the, the record is clear. Yeah, and we've taken so many refugees already. Texas is probably one of the ones that are hit in in the worst ways because we're on the front lines. But let me read one more quote, and then we'll go to the footage in the field. Go right ahead. Uh, in his 1925 State of the Union address, Coolidge defended the 1924 bill, and we're going to talk about that, the 1924 Act, and we'll talk about where the quota was set. Uh, a little bit. Hopefully, we'll share that in this segment. He said, 1924 bill, and said that any ideals of compassion for immigrants must always work in accordance with the principle that our government owes its first duty to our own people and that no alien inhabitant of another country has a legal rights whatever under our Constitution and laws. So, in any case, just reading that quote uh, that no has any legal has, rights right yeah has any legal rights whatever under our constitution and laws and that's where you can see now california's allowing illegal uh, immigrants to get driver's license to vote and they're not so understandably right. that we should have a concern about this Right, yeah, yeah. To, to say that a illegal immigrant in particular has an inherent right not only to get a driver's license to get from point A to point B, and let's concede, let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument that that's okay, right. but then to allow them to use that license or a utility bill or other matters to get a voter registration and be allowed to vote when they're not a citizen and they haven't assimilated and they really don't know our system right. is a bridge too far. I mean, I would like to see or hear the argument that that is uh, the, uh, onto which that kind of policy is built. Right. In other words, you have to deny that right to that immigrant, the right to vote, until they become at least a legal resident, if not a citizen. Right. Because then you're not being fair to those that came here legally and went through the motions and went through the red tape and jumped through the hoops to learn about our system and to become a legal resident or a citizen. It's not fair to them. Two sets of rules does not work. One set of rules, fair to all, partial to none, is the way to go. Exactly. And that's why we have laws. That's what laws are. So, That's what laws are. Yeah. And with that... We're going to take a couple of minutes here, a few minutes, and here's Jason and I in the field at the areas near Donna, Texas, just southeast of Donna, in Hidalgo County, Texas, where new border wall sections are being built where none were built before. So here we are in the field. Hi everybody, this is Jason Mangum with World Impact News, and Mark and I are doing some field work where the new barrier is being built. But I want to point out where we are, we're in uh, just south east of Donna, Texas in Hidalgo County, right near 281, uh, also known as this, seg this section as Old Military Highway. But the very spot that I am standing is known as Drug Alley, and that's what the Border Patrol referred to this area as, as Drug Alley, because a great deal of the drugs are coming through. Now, this, what you'll see here behind me, is the old section of the border wall where the new section is being constructed. And that's probably one of the reasons why they're starting here because of the drug flow that's coming right through here. Because once it leaves here, then you're to 281 and that can be disseminated throughout the, the nation. So, and it goes right into the heart of the nation. So um, if we can maybe get some footage of the highway, which is right there. So, now, what we also have is right here is the National Wildlife Refuge. And one of the problems that the Border Patrol has faced in the past is lateral access. So they don't actually have access. If you have illegal uh, immigration happening and people get into this area, they can't take pursuit. 
So this is probably one of the reasons why they uh, first constructed the wall here, but it ended here. And so you had this great flow and you had this open land behind us. But we just wanted to bring it to you so you could see exactly where it is taking place. And so the construction's going on behind us. Uh, even as we've been out here, several Border Patrol agents have been coming in and out, and there's been a little bit of a flow. And so we just wanted to bring it to you right here in Donna, Texas, so you can see what's happening, the old, the new, to secure our border. And President Trump, everything that we can see, is fulfilling his promise to secure our southern border, and it's happening right here. Mark's going to be talking to you more about the details of what's going on with the construction and, the, and this new wall section that's being built that's right here. You could hear it going on. And so, but this is a very high traffic area and we're glad to see the border being secured. And so again, I'm Jason Mangum right here in Donna, Texas with World Impact News. And Mark Anderson from World Impact News coming to you in the field from the new Donna, Texas border wall section right behind me, which is just east of Donna as you head along Military Highway toward Brownsville. And I had noted in a recent article that it's been a long time since a section of border wall has been built where no wall stood before. But here, just south, actually southeast of Donna, Texas, in Hidalgo County, near my winter stomping grounds, it's actually happening and it re represents the most tangible sign to date that President Trump is trying to keep his promise to briskly build new border barriers and not just modify or replace existing ones. The Rio Grande Valley, notably, consists of four counties, Hidalgo, Cameron, Star, and Willacy, and the Rio Grande Valley's border with Mexico stretches from the Gulf of Mexico and then onward west to Falcon Dam. That's about 277 river miles. That's what our border authorities have to deal with. And there are many gaps, only some, and I'm going to be rough here, only about 60 or 70 of those river miles out of the 277 have genuine border fence. That's why new sections, as shown behind me here, are going up in the greater Donna area. So that's, that's the basic situation. And I could add that on September 29, 2019, U.S. Customs and Border Protection awarded a contract to Gibraltar Cadell Joint Venture for up to $296 million to build 22 miles of non-contiguous border wall uh, starting just east of the Santa Ana Wildlife Refuge, which is that way. And that's just part of the contracts going on. Uh, other, other parts and other facts and figures you'll hear in other segments of World Impact News. But what we're essentially saying here, and this is the uh, overall point to make, is that President Trump, while he fights foreign policy battles regarding Iran and Iraq, many important things in the news, foreign policy is happening right here. The border policy is foreign policy. It cannot be overemphasized. We are dealing with a foreign nation just south of us. Just because it's in our hemisphere doesn't make it anything less than foreign policy. Uh, our founders recognized that with the Monroe Doctrine and a number of other things in the early days of our republic. So what you see here, plank by plank, step by step, this new border wall represents Donald Trump carrying out the foreign policy of the United States in, in conjunction with domestic policy. This is the key part to recognize. And as I'll note, physically stating, this border fence behind me, these new sections, you'll note that they have panels on top where the vertical bars come up and you see these horizontal panels. Most of the existing border fence that you see here that I've described along these river miles has uh, vertical pieces that go up and there's very little, if anything, on top. So evidently this new design which appears to be at least 20 feet tall, 25 feet tall, and we're not sure if they're completely done with the height of this yet. It appears to be designed much more to keep uh, illegal entrance, illegal aliens out of the country that try and sneak in. Meanwhile, what we've learned is, and this is important, that there are more asylum cases being handled 
regarding the United States on the Mexican side of the border. This cuts down on the sheer number of people storming our border in these recent caravans. Those caravans have subsided, and by processing more would-be asylum seekers on the Mexican side of the border, it cuts down on the bottleneck here. Therefore, the fence, the border wall fence, whatever you want to call it, will be more effective because the sheer numbers of people will be down. And another thing, by cutting down on that bottleneck, those that truly deserve asylum have a much better chance of getting it, and their humanitarian needs, as many Catholic churches and um, open borders people are concerned about, their humanitarian needs will actually be met because it'll make it easier to sort out the criminal element, the human traffickers that make $20,000 a head, and the drug traffickers. It'll make it easier to sort them out from those that truly want to make a better life. So to say that those that want tight border security are anti-humanitarian is a misnomer. That is simply not a fact. Uh, all that being said, this is Mark Anderson reporting in the field for World Impact News. Back to you in the studio. Well, welcome back. Uh, back into the studio here. And so we're going to give you some information, kind of what led up to where we are today from a historical perspective, because there's this ideal that our borders should just be open and that we should just allow anybody to flood into this nation, which is actually the opposite. And that's why the 1924 Act was instilled. And in that system, you can see U.S. Congress basically closed the floodgate because of issues of mass immigration problems. And so they actually closed the floodgate, allowing only 2% of each nationality of what, who was already here. So based on your nationality in the U.S., 2% then was allowed to come into the nation. And by the 1930s, pretty much it declined. You maybe had 50,000 immigrants a year. Then you see World War II come around. It halted altogether. But after the war, you had about, well, 400,000 people who were basically didn't have a home. So they were displaced that were brought into America because, yes, we do have a heart and we do care about people. Absolutely. So, and there's but, nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, But then also in 1952, uh, the uh, McCarran-Walter Immigration Act uh, went uh, a bit further. And that's what was uh, instilled. Uh, again, that's the McCarran-Walter Immigration Act, which went a little bit further than the 1924 Act of the 2% and basically went to a one-sixth of 1% 1 of the population already in the U.S. And so you can see this mass immigration, basically the floodgates being closed and so that it was more of a controlled so we can handle it. Yes, diversity was allowed. That's what was happening, 2% in 1924, then that was lessened, but there was diversity allowing from all kinds of different nations. With, with, are, a, with a balance, it sounds with a like. balance. And at a rate that was manageable. Right. Yes, exactly. But then you can see all of that, that quota system began to shift and really was funded by really the banking cartel. So, because they were a big part of this and so that's where you have Kalurji, and I think you have some information, Mark, that's really going to talk about him, his background, who he was connected with as part of this, opening up the floodgates again. Yeah, before we have you fill in the details, it's worth mentioning that, as Jason suggested here, we're going to talk about a shadowy figure known as Richard von Kodenhove Kalurgi, and he was an Austrian-Japanese politician, philosopher, and Count of Kodenhove Kalurgi. He was a pioneer of European integration, and he served as the founding president of the Pan-European Union for 49 years, lived from 1894 to 1972, and it's notable that we found a connection between him in the United States under the Council on Foreign Relations umbrella between Kalergi and another shadowy figure, Joseph H. Redinger, the founder of the rather secretive Bilderberg group, as they're known, the Bilderberg meetings. They're held each year at posh resorts around the world in the right. summer of each year. I've covered a few of them myself. And so this is the networking, ladies and gentlemen, and the policy planning that laid the groundwork for the immigration policies that would follow the ones Jason is mentioning, and he'll get into those, and point to the fact that immigration policies that are followed by the United States and around, around the world today that have been in place for a while are about 
redistributing people and they're also about controlling the population including the number of people the actual number the population itself so it's not just about moving from one country to another it's about reshuffling people around the world it's about lowering the population generally speaking and so it's much more of a grid it's much more of a grand scheme if you will than simply immigration itself that's just a tentacle of the larger machine right so with that i know you've got some uh, excellent quotes from a, a very excellent book that we've promoted before on world impact news yes and so you can see what happened um is basically kalergi and i'm just going to refer to him that yes rather than his whole but kalergi um who was really moving his ideals to kind of eliminate the Caucasian in Europe. He wanted to eliminate the whole race and um, and kind of integrate, so to speak. Intermarry, because, interbreed. Intermarry because yes. it's easier to control people. But in any case, we won't get too much into that, but that was his ideals, that it's easier because this is, again, population control. And, yes, and engineering. And engineering. Yes. And so, and, uh, but basically, when France fell to, uh, to Hitler, to the Germans in, in the 1940s, guess what he did? He, he didn't have, he didn't have basically uh, any kind of protection, so he actually came to the United States. And guess who protected him? The Council on Foreign Relations. That's who he actually became an advisor to. And yeah, share some of that, if you would. Yeah. And so, actually, um, his basically his scheme was to initiate the onset of a world socialism by open borders and mass migration, and that's what he was all doing to kind of derail a lot of the other capitalist, um, you know, nationalistic republic nationalistic. Uh, because he was definitely against nationalism. He did not want anything to do with nationalism. Of any form. Of any form. Because you couldn't have anybody that was proud of being an American, proud of being whatever their nation was. But you wanted to basically divide and conquer in, in a way. That's really what he was doing. And so because it's easier to control and to manipulate. But So what you see is in uh, after the 1940s when, when France fell and uh, to the Germans... Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations actually brought him in, and he was an advisor to the group, and actually helped to draft the wartime strategy of, and get this, listeners, of the Office of Strategic Services and the post-war plans for revitalization of Europe. So by 1949, his disciples, and this is what's, this is where the connection is with a lot of people and a lot of names you've heard of, included Senator William Fulbright, William J. Donovan. Wild Bill, as he was known. Wild Bill Donovan. Big CIA. Alan Dulles. Head of the CIA and on, on the Warren Commission after the Kennedy. Thomas W. Braden, Arthur Goldberg, J. Lovestone, and Joseph H. Redinger. Redinger, founder of the Bilderberg meetings that helped consolidate Europe under the European Union. Exactly. Nurtured that along. That created that, yeah. Yes. Which actually, they created the American Committee for a United Europe. And so you could see the organization working towards this plan of mass immigration and open borders. And so other ones, too, is, I mean, Will, just, just to mention, he received him being... Uh, Kalergi received the Charlemagne Award, and there's a lot of, you know, attached to that If as far as the globalist um, and even the deep state. There's some attachments there to it. But here's a list of recipients that also, Prime Minister, uh, Minister Winston Churchill. Other recipients of the Charlemagne Award? Of the Award? Charlemagne Award. Okay. George, General George Marshall. The Marshall Plan, post-World War II. We'll forget that. U.S. Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, Henry Kissinger. Need we say more? French President uh, Francis Mitterrand. Former Queen Beatrice of the Netherlands. Longtime Bilderberg meeting attendee until recently. British Prime Minister Tony Blair. U.S. President Bill Clinton. German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And Pope Francis I. And so, in any case, you can see this, this tie of these different individuals 
pushing an agenda really to transform the whole populations, the, the whole landscape of the population, not just in Europe, but in America, working with or under the umbrella of the CFR. And so, and that's where the immigration, where we come up to now, where in 1965, and that's what it's called, it's called the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. Which was a very bellwether thing, a very pivotal change. Keep going. Because right. you remember, you have a lot of things going on there, just to mention. You have a lot of different civil rights things happening. The Vietnam War. The Vietnam War happening. So you have it under that pretext of what is going on, but basically to welcome newcomers from third world countries, from all over the world, those that even were less fortunate, but really not limited to that. But this is the, the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 was really the vehicle for globalizing immigration. Yes, that's what we've come to understand. And who was spearheading that in the Senate was Edward Kennedy. And so who actually served to basically shepherd the bill and get the bill uh, through the Senate. And so, but I want to read a quote from Edward Kennedy here uh, quickly, as he stated, he said, first, our cities, and, I'm, and as I do this, how much of this do you believe? How much of this is proven true? Yeah, Just with for, that in mind. With that going. in mind, first, our cities will not be flooded with a million immigrants annually. Under the proposed bill, the present level of immigration remains substantially the same. Secondly, the ethnic mix of this country will not be upset. Contrary to the changes or uh, in some quarters, the bill will not inundate and I'm, I'm listen to that. Will not inundate America with immigrants from any one country or area, or the most populated and deprived nations of Africa and Asia, to name a few, or to name those two at least. In the final analysis, the ethnic pattern of immigration under the proposed measure is not expected to change as sharply as the cities seem or the critics seem to think. The bill will not flood our cities with immigrants. It will not upset the ethnic mix of our society. It will not relax the standards of admission. It will not cause America, American workers to lose their jobs. And so that you know, echoing this claim was the new attorney or the attorney general of the, at the time, Nicholas Kazenbach, who is a Rhodes Scholar and he was a, he's one of the future at the time he was a CFR director. And he said, this bill is not designed to increase or, or accelerate the numbers of newcomers permitted to come to America. Indeed, this measure provides for an increase of only a small fraction in permissible immigration. But it really was the opposite. It opened up the floodgates and they were basically at that time having more of that open border policy. Yeah, even if they weren't kicked open full bore, right? And even if there wasn't a flood at first, the fact of the matter is, is that once a generation or two went by since 1965, we in fact have Los Angeles and other cities rather overrun, at least in some areas, with illegal right. immigrants, and we do have. Floods of immigrants uh, filling certain jobs and bidding the wages down, that, that, that race to the bottom effect, and putting some appreciable, appreciable numbers of Americans out of work. The negative effects did manifest themselves. It may have taken a little while, but they did happen. To say it was a total failure across the board might not be fair, but the negative effects did come up. They're still with us. There was a little bit of a tweaking of the immigration laws in 1986, as many of us know. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've gotten away from the Madisonian ideal, the James right. Madison ideal of careful, regulated immigration, which was recognized in the early 1920s right. by the presidents of that time. They recognized that it has to be careful, it has to be orderly, and there has to be some purpose behind it, right. not just world redistribution of people for social engineering like 
Kalergi envisioned, along with his exactly. confreres in the post-World War II planning apparatus, that as we're showing, there's a direct intellectual ancestry, policy-making and intellectual ancestry between Count Kalergi, Joseph Redinger, Wild Bill Donovan, and that post-World World War II group drawing a line right to 1965 and Senator Edward Kennedy of Massachusetts and the Immigration and Natural, Naturalization Act of, of that year. Exactly. There is at least an intellectual and policy-making ancestry and a lot of gripping and grinning and shaking of hands and, you know, you name it, but there it is. Exactly. And so then just four years after that is President Richard Nixon appointed John D. Rockefeller III as a chairman of the newly created Commission on Population Growth. And here we go into another the issue. American future. So, and uh, accepting the appointment, John D. III said the average citizen doesn't appreciate the social and economic implications of population growth and what it does to the quality of all our lives. Rather than think of population control as a negative thing, we should see it as enriching. And so you can see this whole now uh, commission on population growth, which really is a lot to do with population redistribution. That's how, what you referred to uh, just a moment ago. It's Correct. Well, population control is a lot to do with redistribution. Right. Re and, and the Rockefellers' uh, population activities, right. much like their general education board in the early 20th century and their efforts to eliminate naturopathic, naturopathic and homeopathic medical schools, limiting it to the medical model that we have today. Uh, their managerial and monopolistic efforts in those areas carried over to population. And as you've shown, Jason, and as you'll soon explain here today, this draws a line right to the footsteps of Roe v. Wade exactly. and mass abortion. So what we see at least are some tentative, maybe not rock solid, but tentative connections between world population distribution under global immigration policy, of which the 1965 is the U.S. component, connecting that with actually reducing the population through the abortion racket, which has been misrepresented as a feminist ideal when in fact it's a Malthusian, right. Malthusian scheme to get rid of or call the herd, get rid of human beings, cut a lot of bloodlines so people won't have descendants. Right. And therefore you'll shrink the population as you redistribute it, as you re right. redistribute it. Right. Mass immigration, mass redistribution, mass abortion. Right. There are enough connections to where we can say at least tentatively that all of this seems to be intellectually connected by certain players, certain organizations, and policies that have been used to override tradition and the earlier policies of our young republic. Exactly. So one of the first reports from the commission, and that's the Commission of Population Growth and the American Future, shows or they recommended. So one of the first recommendations from the commission was that state laws restricted abortion, that they were too restrictive on abortion. And they wanted to, to they wanted abortion just to be a common thing. And so here's what happens is, and I won't get into a lot of it, but the commission they further suggested that federal, state, and local governments make funds available to support abortion services. And guess what happens then? In the in New York, the the model abortion law was created. Voila, just happens Voila. to be created. Just a coincidence, right? Which the commission endorsed. And so the commission led by John D. Rockefeller the third. Correct. They endorsed it. Okay? And, and it was passed in nineteen seventy under the leadership of drumroll New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller. The brother of John D. the third, along with Lawrence, Winthrop, and David. These are the five grandsons of the oil man, John D. Rockefeller. And just like Mark said, it paved the way for what became Roe versus Wade. So in the summer of 1971, you could see then Planned Parenthood get all the financial support from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, which who set it up. 
And so, and which, then, which it's funny that they say that the Rockefeller Brothers Fund was set up, and you'll get into that a little bit, but it was Medicaid, actually, that was set up to pay and fund the abortions. Yeah, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, without looking this up, I'm going to speculate, was maybe used for seed money, but Medicaid, taxpayer-funded Medicaid, is actually the main financial instrument to pay for abortions. They park this right at the doorstep of Roe v. Wade, 1970, in New York under Governor Nelson Rockefeller. Roe v. Wade comes along three years later in 1973. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's always the same Rockefeller model. How do you rob the Treasury to put our private plans into motion? You do it this way. You, you, you create these arguments. You put some seed money out there. You convince enough politicians and media people and they rob the treasury to promote their vision through Medicaid tax dollars. It's always the same way. Private gain, public loss. Yes. Exactly. The, the, the public is always cajoled and fooled into underwriting, underwriting and funding the schemes of billionaires. Exactly. And so there's been millions of unborn babies murdered. Tens of millions. Tens of millions. Tens of millions. Tens of millions funded by this. But it's okay to have mass immigration, but then they want mass abortion at the same time. So you could see this. It's a very, it is a very cynical plan, but we won't get much into that. So, But some of the other things I, I believe we want to point out, Mark, is the connections that we can see in the foreign policy and some of the pushbacks even. Um, and then we can, I think, wrap up with some of those uh, those things if we have anything more to add. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we learned here in McAllen, Texas, that there was a, this program that we alluded to a little earlier and um, where Duncan Wood spoke from the um, Wilson Institute's Mexico Institute. Right. Uh, that, that branch of the Wilson Institute, which is based in Washington, D.C. Um, and... Uh, the city of McAllen was represented there. The city of McAllen, in fact, was a platinum sponsor, along with IBC Bank, the Monitor newspaper, yours and mine favorite, and the McAllen Performing Arts Center, which I believe is where it was held. Correct. And then gold sponsors include Idea Public Schools, the city of Donna, Frost Bank, Far International Bridge, Rio Bank, McAllen Chamber of Commerce, Plains Capital Bank, and the Star County Industrial Foundation, a neighboring county here to Hidalgo County. These are some of the gold sponsors. And, of course, we're not uh, drawing direct lines from what we've been saying today to, to these sponsors in this program, but the Wilson Center and its support of open borders is at least intellectually connected in a down-the-chain kind of way to what we've been talking about today, however witting or unwitting participants might be of this. Exactly. But it just shows how well-promoted, and, and I, I know these organizations and these cities have a lot of good reasons in their mind for promoting these things, the, the commerce that comes from Mexico, the shoppers that come from Mexico to buy goods from retailers in the Valley. Right. There's a lot of positive things about cross-border commerce that they like, and we agree. But we also are pointing out there's a bigger picture, and it's important to keep that bigger picture in mind and, and these connections, and for people to be fully aware of what they're getting into or whatever positive aspects might, ex uh, might exist. Right. So that's basically the facts uh, as we see them here, as we're spelling out today for this broadcast of World Impact News. And so just kind of final thoughts here is, remember, always follow the money. With everything that we talked about, and even what uh, Edward Kennedy brought through Kalergi and some of these different things that the CFR has established, always follow the money trail. And a lot of it has to do with the banking cartel. So it's just interesting to me that a bank in the Rio Grande Valley would bring somebody who's connected with the CFR in a roundabout way. I mean, kind of a spoke of the CFR. Yeah, which uh, is Duncan Wood does write for the Foreign Affairs um, Latin American version, Foreign Affairs, is the journal of the Council on Foreign Relations. Right. He's, he contributes to that, so there is at least that, that basic connection. Right. And we're not saying there's anything nefarious about it. It's simply a fact. There's just these connections here. So you can see how it's all working together to have this globalist agenda 
that's being put forth. Just like the CFR, one of the reasons, I mean, they do admit that a lot of the reasons for mass immigration coming out of Central and South America has to deal with violence, has to deal with the drug cartels, has to deal with economic problems. But one of the things that they say is the primary reasons is climate change. So you could always see this agenda being pushed that why we're having mass immigration. I mean, they they state, the CFR does, that over a million coffee farmers are basically being kicked off of their land in Honduras because of climate change. And so, and that's the reason why, you know, so many people are coming from Honduras. And so, but it's always amazing to me that it's always a tied back. And that's why we're just bringing this to you today, that there's always some agenda that's being pushed. And always, as you listen to things and as you study things, because we don't want you to just to take this information and do nothing with it, but that you would get involved. One, you would get out and vote. One, you would get involved in your community, but also that you would disseminate these videos and podcasts. You can listen to our podcast. This will be available on uh, eight or nine platforms. Uh, Really, I think that's you know, I mean, you can go listen to this on, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Uh, there's all these others, Bleacher, Radio Public. And so that you would disseminate this to get the word out because we have to learn that poli- that border policy is foreign policy. And so, but there's this agenda to stop the policy or, or stop that. And they'll quote things that some are factual, but then they tie it in there and twist it in there. Then they're always pushing their agenda. So as to weaken a country's efforts to move to secure their border, as President Trump has tried to do, that's why we show the footage in this broadcast of us in the field at the new Donna border wall sections. And as we understand it, the new Mexican president, as we heard today from Duncan Wood, is also doing more to protect Mexico's southern border, which coordinates with President Trump, intentionally or not, because if fewer people come through Mexico's southern border, that's fewer people coming here. Right. Immigration becomes more manageable and much more fair to those that are coming here for good reason and, and need asylum. Exactly. And properly and legally are granted asylum. But that's the, the key, Mark, is that they come legally. So there has to be ref, a, a reform happen to make the process and the system so there's not a flow and an influx, but at the same time, we're protecting our border, but we are helping people. But one thing, and this will be the last thought, is the CFR, they, they claim that all this mass immigration is helping our economy and helping our nation. But the fact of the matter is, if those immigrants that are coming across illegally can't help their nation, how are they going to help ours? And so I'm just putting that out there, food for thought. Yeah, what what they say in closing is that, and there's some numerical truth to it, the U.S. birth rate's too low, we need to import workers to fill certain agricultural jobs as a stopgap measure. Now, numerically, there's some truth to that. But if you back up from that, you begin to ask questions. Why is the U.S. birth rate so low? Yeah. Well, abortion plays a role into that. Exactly. And, and pornography plays a role by misdirecting the sexual impulse away from childbearing, away from procreation. There's a number of social and uh, political and other reasons why the U.S. birth rate is low. And it's true in England and Europe, too. It's a very low birth rate. Yes. It's not even at replacement level. Yes. But massive redistribution of people is not the ultimate answer because it doesn't get at the root causes. So they'll take a little numerical reality and they'll try and stretch that and make it sound like it's an immovable fact. Yeah. That's what it is. See, once again, twisting and manipulating. Exactly. And that's where you'll see things, affirmative action. And there's so many different topics we can get just based off of this because that's what's trying to be performed by the globalists is to transform the population, this whole population redistribution. Right, right. And with that, that's our segment today. And uh, so make sure that you subscribe to our channel and share this. Like it, share it, tell others about it, and we will see you next time. Again, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And this is World Impact News. Convince people that this war is real. But the media. A history of the last 200 years. Now, you created the Star Reserve in 1913 through lies. As told by the money trail. First, to prepare the United States for foreign war. 
under the guise of American defense. Written by Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. My name is Kevin Shipp. I'm a former decorated CIA officer. There is a shadow government that is manipulating our elected officials that we see behind the scenes. And finally, someone has come out and written what I think is the best expose on the shadow government ever. Who controls your money? Who controls your savings? You have been lied to. Time after time after time. Political turmoil. National security. Climate change. Military crisis. Violence. Drug war. Nuclear proliferation. The U.S. is at the very least nurturing the largest source of the deadliest and most addictive drug on the planet. Central Intelligence Agency was actively protecting certain large drug shipments. So you tell me what the occupation of Afghanistan is really about. The Killing of Uncle Sam. Get your copy today. Visit KillingUncleSamBook.com Killing the Planet Book. Available now. From Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, because they got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. The negative impact of population growth is becoming appallingly evident. What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? The growing human population. And to get to that goal, you have to monopolize the energy aspects of people around the planet. If you control those two aspects, the green revolution and the gene revolution, then you're able to control the entire planet, every resource on it, extinguish freedom for the rest of history. Available now. Go to killingtheplanetbook.com to get your copy today.